0: If I could all get you to turn to Second Chronicles thirty two, seven and eight, and Second Kings six. And 1 John 4 and 4, if you've got another finger. Start reading in Second Chronicles 32, and 8. Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed. For the king of Assyria, nor all the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested upon themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. In Second Kings 6, we're going to read verses 15 and 16. And when the, of the, when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he answered, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And First John 4 and 4 says, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Tonight, with the help of the Lord, I want to minister to you a force to be reckoned with. Ten years after Assyria had conquered the kingdom of Israel, we find, them co- we find that they come against the fenced city, cities of the kingdom of Judah with the intention of taking over Jerusalem as well. Hezekiah was the king of Judah at the time. Um, in his reign, at the beginning of his reign, he had removed idolatry from the kingdom and he'd repaired the temple and he'd restored the worship of God. The temple was cleansed and the law was being kept he had reinstituted the Passover feast and had decreed it throughout all of the land of Israel that everyone should come and keep the Passover in Jerusalem. He reestablished the giving of tithes and offerings and did what was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. Everything he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and he prospered. Everything seemed to be going along nicely, until Sennacherib shows up on the scene. Sennacherib is the king of Assyria, and he decided what he did to Jerusalem—oh, sorry, what he did to Israel—he was going to do to the kingdom of Judah. This was going to be a piece of cake. So Sennacherib enters Judah and um, and lays a siege against some fortified some fortified cities. And uh, Hezekiah recognising that Judah was under attack talks to his advisers and military leaders um, to cover the fountain heads and redirect the rivers so that those in the, in the siege cities had water but the Assyrians wouldn't have any water. And then Hezekiah goes into de- defence mode and he starts fortifying Jerusalem by repairing um, and reinforcing broken walls, building defence towers and making weapons. He organizes the armed forces and gathers the people to encourage them and that's when we read in our opening text that he said that with with him is the arm of flesh but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles and the people rested themselves. They trusted what Hezekiah the king of Judah had to say. How long it took to prepare Jerusalem for for the Assyrian Assyrian attack or the Assyrian Assyrian siege on Jerusalem, we're not told. Although I imagine it took a considerable amount of time. You can't build a wall in a day. You can't build towers in a week. And darts and shields uh, made in abundance would also take time to produce. So a, a considerable amount of time had passed. But we do know when we piece together the the accounts in Second Kings and in Isaiah and Second Chronicles, that somewhere along the way, Hezekiah panicked. Perhaps in a low moment, we all have those, he doubted the possibility that Judah would be even be able to resist the Assyrian army, um, that surely if God was going to take care of it, he would have done it by now. And so instead of going to the man of God, Hezekiah, Hezekiah takes the matter into his own hands, and, he's, and he decides to offer Sennacherib, Sennacherib a payment. And whatever t- tribute or whatever tax that Sennacherib asks, he was going to pay it and in hope that this would kind of you know, pay him off and get him off property and, 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 and leave Jerusalem alone. So he sends a message to Sennacherib asking him to name his price. And Sennacherib's price was hefty. Hezekiah had to take all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house, he had to cut off the gold from the doors of the temple and from the pillars to make the payment. But this does not have the desired effect. Unfortunately, the demands of a bully are never re- are rarely satisfied. In Sennacherib's bullying tactics of threats to abuse and intimidate and intentionally be aggressive, to dominate, The others were successful in the past and he expected that it would be successful with Jerusalem. So he interprets the payment as a weakness in Hezekiah and smelling victory, he sends his servant with a great host to taunt the people of Jerusalem, to intimidate them, to break their resolve, to discourage them into completely surrendering the city to him. And it starts... The voice comes over the wall. He mocks Hezekiah's ability as king to protect the people. Why do you trust him? He exalts the abilities of Sennacherib as a king and conqueror. He makes a list of all the conquering nations and tells them that they couldn't stand, you won't stand. He mocks the power of God to save Jerusalem, liking their God to the gods of the surrounding areas, which were already conquered. He promises to provide a better life for the people of Jerusalem protection and prosperity but only if they would come out and surrender but the people held their peace and answered him not a word for the king's command was saying answer him not Hezekiah's servants came to the, came to him with their clothes rent and reported all the words that were sent for, from Sennacherib and Hezekiah he rents his clothes covers himself with ashes, and he goes to the house of the Lord. He sends the servants that came to him to Isaiah the prophet. It may be the Lord thy God will hear all the words spoken by the Assyrian messenger sent by Sennacherib to speak against the living God, and maybe God won't let him get away with such talk. And Isaiah hears from God and sends the message back to Hezekiah. Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard by the servants of the king of Assyria to blaspheme me. I will cause Sennacherib to hear a rumour and he shall return to his own land where he shall fall by the sword. And it was so that when Sennacherib hears the rumour that the king of Ethiopia has come out to fight against him, that he departs from the siege in Lachish in Judah, but not without making sure that Hezekiah knows that he'll be back. He sends a letter to Hezekiah to tell him that just as he destroyed the neighboring nations and their gods and religious systems, he'll do the same in Jerusalem. Your God is no match for me. Hezekiah takes the letter. He goes up to the house of the Lord and he spreads it before the Lord and he prays. And the Lord hears Hezekiah's prayer concerning Sennacherib and reassures him through the prophet Uzziah that Sennacherib will not get away with all the things that he's said. Sennacherib wants a reaction. He'll get one that he didn't see coming. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And just as Hezekiah had declared to the people that there'd be more with us than with him, For with him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. It happened that night that the Lord sent an angel which killed the mighty men of valor, leaders, and the captains in the camp of the Assyrians. One hundred and eighty-five men, one hundred and eighty-five thousand men in total. And when those that remained rose early in the morning, they were surrounded with corpses. Sennacherib returns to Nineveh, defeated And humiliated. And not long after he's murdered by his own sons. Our God is a force to be reckoned with. Elisha wasn't easily intimidated. He was confident in the God of Elijah. The same God that had called him to walk in his master's shoes. The God of Elijah had proven himself to be the God of Elisha as well. And so he walked with the knowledge that wherever he went and whatever he did, God would back him up. He walked aware of angels standing at attention, waiting for permission to intervene on his behalf. The king of Syria warred against Israel. Several times he tried to set up an ambush and each time Elijah would warn the king of Israel where Syria was waiting. How Israel evaded the ambush troubled the king of Syria so much that he thought he had an informer in his camp. But I know was the response, there's a prophet in Israel named Elisha. He tells the king everything that is discussed, even what's whispered in the bedroom. The king of, the king of Syria determines to capture Elisha and dispatches an impressive fighting force to surround the city of Dothan where Elisha was staying. And Elisha's servant rose early in the morning and went into town and he saw that there was a great host surrounding the city with horses and chariots and he hurries back in a panic to report to Elisha and ask, what are we going to do? But Elisha wasn't troubled. The army of Syria didn't intimidate him one bit. He was not frightened in the slightest. Elisha reassures his servant and responded, don't worry. There's more with us than with them. And Elisha then prayed and asked the Lord to open the servant's eyes. And he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about. It would seem Elisha was keenly aware of the angel armies that surrounded him. The Syrians attacked and Elisha prayed for the Lord to smite them with blindness and the Lord, according to the word, and the Lord did so according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha, Elisha called out to them and said, "The person you're looking for isn't here. Let me take you to, the, to him." So Elisha led them to the king of Israel in Samaria. And once they were safely inside the city, Elisha asked the Lord to open their eyes. And when they opened their eyes, they saw they were trapped in enemy territory. Not knowing what to do with them, the king of Israel says, "Should I kill them?" And Elisha said, no, just feed them and send them back to their master. <laughs> Our guide is a force to be reckoned with. The Philistines had a smack-talking champion that was also brought down by an unlikely source. Goliath was big, bad and ugly. He was the champion of the Philistines, meaning he fought on behalf of the Philistine army. He stood approximately three metres tall, bellowing insults to the armies of Israel. Who will fight me? I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. If he's able to fight me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. We will be the servants of Israel. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then ye shall be our servants and serve us. No doubt this was followed by a menacing laugh. This took place every morning, And every night, for 40 days, this intimidating behaviour terrified all of Israel and they'd lost all hope. Until David arrives on the scene with bread for his brothers and he hears the taunting of the enemy and he asks, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? While all of Israel hides in fear of what was before them, David's like, so who's going out to fight him? You know, what's, what's going on? He was not intimidated at all by what he saw. David was not a seasoned soldier. He had not been in battle before. And although he didn't know what it was like to be in battle and fight hand-to-hand with another man, he'd fought wild animals and God had kept him. How was Goliath any different? David didn't have to learn any new skills to bring down the giant. His weapon of choice was unconventional. In fact, Goliath seemed disgusted that this was the best that Israel had to offer. He ridiculed David. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And he cursed David by his gods. You'll be minced meat by the time I'm finished with you today. Then then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. Buddy, this fight isn't between you and me. But you picked a battle with one who's a force to be reckoned with. This day the Lord will deliver thee into my hand. I will smite thee and take thine head from you. And you will be buzzed meat that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. Everyone will know that the Lord doesn't save with the sword, neither with the spear. This battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. That angered Goliath because he took off running towards David and David took off running towards him with his stone in his sling and he fired away. And according to slinging.org, projectiles can be slung over 400. There is a whole website. I was amazed. Anyway, sorry. Sorry. Um, Projectiles can be slung over 450 metres at speeds exceeding 400 kilometres per hour. David was excre- extremely proficient in his use of the slingshot and he hit the target in the middle of his forehead and brought the giant down where he did exactly what he said he would do and he cut off his head. David was not afraid of the giant because he knew who stood with him. The God of Israel wasn't just any God. He wasn't made with hands. He was not a lucky charm to be worn around your neck or kept in a pocket. He was the creator of all. David had experienced the wonder of creation as he sat watching his sheep. He'd heard the account of the Redeemer of Israel, the great and mighty Savior, who who'd brought them out of Egypt with a great show of might and established them in the Promised Land. There was no one like the God of Israel. David knew that to dwell in the presence of the Lord was to live under his protection, to be hidden in the shadow of his wings. Nothing could happen to him unless the Lord allowed it. And he was very confident that God wanted Israel to put a Philistine bully in his place and show all the assembly that the God of Israel was a force to be reckoned with. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Daniel 11.32 tells us that they that do know their God shall do exploits. This word exploits means they shall accomplish bold and daring feats in battle. They'll walk confidently in the knowledge of the excellence and majesty and the power of their God. This alone emboldens them and to take risks, knowing that the power of God is with them, and that he's able to deliver them out of their enemy's hand. But if not, they would rather die standing for truth and what is right than to give in to the demands of an enemy. A force to be reckoned with is someone or something that is strong, important, powerful, and cannot be ignored. Acts 1 and 8 says that we shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. According to the Strong's Dictionary, the power spoken of here is the Greek word dunamis, and it encompasses a range of meanings that can be summed up in one word, force. It, is, it specifically relates to miraculous power, ability, abundance. It means might, worker of miracles, power, strength, violence, wonderful works. This is the power or the force that works in us that's referred to in Ephesians 3 and 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, that's the power according to the power that worketh in us. It is this force that resides in us when we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues as the Spirit enables us. The word dunamis appears 120 times in the Scriptures. Luke 10 and 19 tells us, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing by any means hurt you. The power, this power is from the Greek word, excuse, now I can't say it, exousia, which means authority. It is especially used in terms of moral influence. It can can also be thought in terms of jurisdiction or dominion over a certain realm, right, privilege or ability. Exousia appears 103 times in the scripture when we're born again according to the scriptures that is we've repented of our disobedience and rebellion against god and we turn to him and we're baptized in the name of jesus according to the scripture for the removing of the stain of sin on our lives and we're filled with the holy ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues we receive power we receive dunamis and we receive excusia god in us becomes a force to be reckoned with We have the miraculous power of God residing in us, giving us the ability to live above sin. We receive might. We receive strength. We become the violent and the violent take the kingdom of God by force. We receive authority over demonic spirits and activity. They are under our feet. We have been given the ability to stand on serpents and scorpions. We can deter their bite and their sting by the authority given unto us in the name of Jesus Christ. We are of God, little children, and we have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in me than the force that resides in this world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The world will try and bully us into accepting ungodly behaviours and lifestyles. We will be threatened, pressured and abused. They will try and intimidate us and aggressively dominate us. We can try and give in just a little just so the aggression backs down. But paying off the enemy like Hezekiah tried to do costs more than we can pay. And just like Sennacherib, our enemy is patient. He really isn't interested in how much we have to give him. What he wants is for us to become a mantle on his, a trophy on his mantelpiece. He continually bombards us with thoughts to weaken our resolve, to second guess who we are and what we have. A clear description of Satan's intentions towards us is given in John 10 and 10. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to steal our hope and leave us powerless. He wants to kill our joy and destroy our faith in God. He wants us to look at the situation around us and see the magnitude of it. He wants us to believe that there is strong support and that he has the numbers. And like Elisha's servant, we can get in a panic and become intimidated because we are surrounded. But we know the God of army angels, angel armies, get it right. He can dispatch an angel to our aid at any time. The angels stand by ready, waiting to help. All they need is for him to say go and they'll come to us. Our God is a God. He is a force to be reckoned with. And like David, we have unconventional weapons. The weapons weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. We fight against things we cannot see with our natural eyes. We do not fight against flesh and blood. Our fight takes place in another realm but we fight with principalities against powers, against the rulers of darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We do not see our enemy, but we see the effects and the influence of the enemy all around us. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand... When you withstand something, you resist. You endure, you stand your ground, and you get ready to repel any attack. This can only be accomplished through prayer and communion with God. How else can we be strong enough not to be intimidated by what our eyes tell us? How else can we come against Goliath and his trash talk? How else can we do daring feats and take risks that will see great things accomplished for the kingdom of God. The devil is afraid of what we are capable of. He asserts himself over us, bombarding us with negative thoughts and imaginations that disqualify us from being used of God. He feeds us lies that sound like truth, so we buy into them and then wonder why we live a defeated life. He distracts us, He keeps us from prayer, from the word, from church, from anything that would benefit us spiritually and bring us closer to God. He continually reminds us of our failure and our lack of ability. The Apostle Paul wrote that we're to cast down these imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity these thoughts to the obedience of Christ. The word of God clearly shows us that we don't have to be perfect to be used of God. We just have to be obedient. Those that we read about today relied on God as an outside force. But we have him within us, beside us, in front of us and behind us. The world wants to ignore him and render him powerless and eliminate the idea that he exists altogether. But how, how can you do that to a force that needs to be reckoned with? He will not be ignored. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Exodus chapter 1, we see the children of Israel had increased abundantly and they had multiplied. When they first entered Egypt, there were 70 of them. Now there were so many that they had become a threat to the Pharaoh who rose up and didn't know Joseph. He was unsettled by their number and the the rate that they were growing. They're more than we are. They could easily overthrow us. They are mightier than we are. And he felt the need to contain them so he devised a plan and put them to work as slaves. Least there is a war and they side with the enemies or they just get up and leave. So Pharaoh had played all the scenarios out in his head and he saw the potential of a great nation and a great threat. No other area in Egypt was as fruitful as the area the Israelites filled. They increased abundantly. They had more flocks and herds than anyone else and they just continued to multiply. By enslaving the Israelites, he had hoped to slow them down, wear them out, weaken them and hopefully color few. Pharaoh knew that if the Israelites ever realized their potential, they would be a force to be reckoned with. It's the same with us today. The devil knows that if we ever realize our potential in God we would also be a force to be reckoned with. So he devises a plan to contain us. If he can contain us, we will not take advantage of everything God has made available to us. Have we allowed ourselves to be contained? Have we allowed ourselves to be intimidated into thinking something other than what God wants us to think? Have we succumbed to the taunting of Sennacherib, to the trash talk dished out by Goliath? Have we forgotten who we are? Have we gone to hide like the army of Israel? Can we bring the letters, the thoughts, the words of the enemy has fed us and bring them before the Lord like Hezekiah? Will we ask the Lord to open our eyes to see that those that are before us are more than those that are with them? Will we ask him to reveal the potential that is within us? Can we stand like David and declare that our God is a force to be reckoned with? Intimidation has been used to oppress and control people throughout history. It's, a t- it's time for the church to stand and declare truth and to demonstrate the power of God it's time to declare that we are no longer slaves to fear it's time that we stirred up the gift that's within us and become that force to be reckoned with it's time to recognize what no longer be- we need to recognize what no longer belongs to us and pick up those things that he wants to us to have, that he has provided for us. It's time for a revelation of who we are in Jesus Christ. It's time to become a force to be reckoned with. It's time we rose to our challenges instead of allowing them to cripple us. Our God is greater and he lives in us. We are stronger than our setbacks and the obstacles. It's it's time we change a mentality. It's time for a renewed mind. We are not victims. We are victorious. Our champion is a force to be reckoned with. It's time to know our God and do exploits. It's time to get serious about prayer. Those that diligently seek Him will find Him and Him. We are the children of the living God, purchased, redeemed by His blood and filled with His Spirit. He has given us everything we need to live above sin, to die to our flesh and resist temptation. Let us not be intimidated by what is false, but let us stand for truth in all confidence. It's time to declare that I'm no longer a slave. That I will no longer, I'm no longer a slave to fear and intimidation. I'm a child of God. I'm a force to be reckoned with. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.